Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 10th, 2023, we continue our Advent series with a sermon titled, A Perfect Savior by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Enjoy. Many of you know, in fact, if you've been around me for very long, I've been on a uh, roller coaster of a weight loss journey. I am not a small man, I'm aware of that, but I'm trying to get smaller. And uh, several years ago, I had reached a uh, pinnacle in my size and decided it's time to get in shape. And I remember walking into Mountainside Fitness, right over by Desert Ridge going, this place is mine, it's time to drop some pounds. And I hopped on the treadmill and learned about 12 steps in that my knees can no longer take running, and that was not for me. Lifting weights wasn't really that good for me because my doctor said, you need cardio, and this frame is not built for cardio. And so I looked around the gym, and then I saw it. The low-impact, high-cardio Stairmaster. And so I made my way over to this machine of death, and I looked at it, and I climbed up, and I thought, all right, here it is. Me against this machine. We're going to go 30 minutes, 140 floors, hit the button, get out. I put my music on. I listen to music when I work out just so I don't have to hear myself breathe because that's depressing. (laughs) I got my music on. I hit the buttons. Bang, I hit start, and man, we are cranking. And I'm rolling. I'm like, this is 140. We need to go to 240. I'm going to crush this. And all of a sudden, my legs begin to get real heavy. And I start to feel, you ever felt your heartbeat in your ears? That's what's going on. And even through my music, all I can hear is, that's me breathing. And the people next to me are looking over like, are you okay? I look down at the little, the little screen right there, three minutes and 24 seconds. And I am close to death. I hit that beautiful red button that says stop, and I rode that thing down to the bottom and just crumbled in shame, going, wow, what? Next day, come back, new goal. Let's just try and get to five minutes, and then six, and then seven. Finally, I'm at the place now. I can go the whole 30 minutes, 140 floors. That is my goal. That is my Mount Everest. Friday, new personal best, 126 floors in 30 minutes. Now, you might be out there, yeah, don't get that excited. That's not the goal. That's failure still. 140 is the goal. You might be out there and go, man, you're so close. 126 floors. If you just do like four more floors, you know, kick it up a little bit for about three minutes. Every every 10 minutes, you'll be at 140. No big deal. And I would look at you and go, clearly you have never spent time on a Stairmaster before. (laughs) Because though that may sound simple, I'll just turn it up a little bit faster for a little bit period of time. You will understand. Those last 20 minutes come... I call it my road to Damascus moment because I visibly see Jesus and pray for him to take me home. I am dying. It is everything I can do to get through that last 10 minutes on whatever pace I'm at. And when I'm done, I'm done. I've gone all in. So if you were to walk up to me right now and go, man, Kevin, I've been there. I started the same way. And you know what? Here's where I'm at now. I'm going to do 140 floors in 30 minutes. I've lost this much weight. You know what I would do? I would give you a huge hug. Because you are my hero. You have been where I've been. And you know what else you've got? You've got sympathy for me. You know what it's like to walk in my shoes. 
I'm looking at, I'm looking at all my high school students over here. You guys, you guys roll in there tomorrow and do 140 floors in about 12 minutes. Don't come talking to me until you're 44 years old and you got six kids. <laughs> We're on a different level. But anybody in here that's like, oh man, I've been there. I've done it. You know what we have? We have something that links eyes together and go, man, you've been where I, you've been where I want to get. You know how hard it is. And you can look me in the eye and go, Kevin, I get it. I know those mornings you're going to wake up and your legs are going to be tired and you're going to go, I do not want to go. I'm going to tell you, you need to go and get back on that machine and keep going and keep pushing because you can get to where you want to get to. I've been there. See, that's sympathy. That's somebody that's walked the road before and can now look back and help encourage you along. That's what we get in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15, in fact, we're going to hear that we have a great high priest, not only that is seated at the right hand of God, we don't have a savior that's just up there and he's so distant, he's so far away, we don't, he doesn't get us. No, we have a high priest that would look at us and go, I've been tempted every way that you have been tempted. I've walked everything that you have walked through in this life. I've done it before you and I know how hard it is. I know what a challenge it is. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't been willing to try and do myself. And with sympathy in his eyes, he's going to look at us and encourage us to keep going. He says he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. So here's what we've got to identify. Before we even pray and get into the word, we've got to figure this out. What is your weakness? What are your weaknesses? You see, you can't sympathize with somebody if you don't know what's going on. If all they do is pre present like everything's great, ship shape. No sympathy. But once we begin to reveal some of those areas of hurt, heartache, maybe some of those things that we're struggling with, then all of a sudden sympathy becomes a real thing. And so here's a question for you. What are your weaknesses? What are those things that if you need to be honest with the Lord in this, mo this morning, in this place, just begin to say, God, here's what they are. Here's where I know that I am weak. And I'm going to find weakness as this. Anytime we desire something more than we desire the Lord, that's a weakness. So often what we want to do, at least some of the people that I work with and even my own soul, is I want to define weakness as an action. So I, want to, I feel bad. I want to be comforted. I'm going to turn to a substance. I'm going to turn to images. I'm going to turn to women. I'm going to turn to whatever these things are to comfort me. Those things that you're turning to, that's not your weakness. Your weakness is the fact that you feel some sort of discomfort, and instead of turning to the Lord to meet that, we turn to something else. Our real weakness is in our heart and our soul. It's I so desperately uh, want to belong. I need a place to belong. And when I don't, I get angsty. And so then I turn to. Okay, well, your, your, your weakness is that you don't believe that you are a part of God's family and that he loves you. Your theology is bad. So here's a question. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. As you think of your own life, your own journey, your own walk with the Lord, and maybe you just need to take some time and let God search you. What's your weakness? What's your weakness? Because this morning, I think what God's going to ask of us is that we would surrender that in this place. That we would say, God, here it is. Not fix it. Not clean it up. Not go, I'm going to do something about it, God. But just to simply say, God, this is where I am weak. This is what I desire more than you. And if I'm honest, here it is. And what would it look like for us to leave that at the feet of Jesus tonight, this morning, and just go, all right, here it is. Now let's see what God can do with that sort of posture and that sort of heart before him. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive into Hebrews chapter four. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much uh, for your word. 
God, I think even for the passage we're looking at today, God, to see and to understand just how much you love us. God, of all the ways you could have changed, all the ways that you could have have brought salvation to this world, you chose to come as a human being so that you could walk the road that we have walked and you could look us in the eye and with sympathy in your eyes and your heart, God, that we would understand, that we would get just how much you love us. So God, I pray this morning as we lean into this, as you even continue to draw things out of us through the power of your Holy Spirit in each and every one of us as an individual, God, that you would meet us in that place. So God, encourage us this morning. God, let us see those things that we need to lay down at your feet and let us walk out of here looking more like your son Jesus than when we showed up. So God, we love you. We thank you in advance for whatever you choose to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 4. Well, let me go back. Remember last week we talked about holding fast, hold fast to our confession, hold on to Jesus with everything that you've got because he is all that we have. And he saves us from all of those things. Well, this week we get to, to Hebrews chapter 4. Before we get to that, though, let me read you the preface to the passage we're going to look at today. One page over in, in Hebrews chapter 2. It says this, therefore he being Jesus, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, all of you that are like, oh, already heard it, church word, I'm out. Propitiation is this. Propitiation is Jesus Christ bearing the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. Sacrifices, he, he took the penalty of sin upon himself, paid the price for our sins by shedding his blood, covered our sins. The wrath of God still had to be atoned for. Jesus Christ atoned for the wrath of God. That's this word propitiation. It's more than just sacrifice. It has to deal with God's physical anger for our sin poured out upon Jesus. The propitiation for the sins of the people. And then verse 18, this ties into where we're going to go today. It says this, for because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, the whole reason why Jesus was tempted, the whole reason why he came as a human being and born and lived the life that he lived is that he could look at us and go, I get it, it's hard. Not one of us in this room could look at God and go, you have no idea what it's like. You have no idea how hard it is. You don't have any idea what it's like to be tempted like I am. He could look at you and go, oh, no, absolutely, I get it. I've been there. I know what it's like. I know what it's like because I've walked that road. I've done what you're doing, and I'm here to tell you as tempting as whatever this world has to offer you, there's something better if you would find it in the Lord. So he can comfort us. Example that has been set. So here we go. Here's our verse for today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We get a double negative. I'm going to my high school kids. Let's see. How's the state of Arizona doing on our testing? Double, double negative means what? Negative plus a negative turns it into a hyper positive, right? Yes, nailed it. See, I believe in you guys. There's great things coming. Two negatives make a positive. So when you hear, we don't have who's unable, that makes it a hyper positive. Here's what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. What's the implication? We have a high priest who is absolutely able to sympathize with our weakness. Now, what is sympathy? Here's why this word sympathy to me is so important. Sympathy is not a feeling. Sympathy is not a feeling. Sympathy is a, is a, a knowledge, 
a knowledge and an understanding that goes beyond feeling, beyond emotion, and turns, goes into, I've walked that road. So again, that's why I think this whole idea of sympathy is so important. If you were to walk up to me this morning, and you were to say something to the effect of, Kevin, the holidays are very hard for me. I'm estranged from my family. I have no one. I sit in my house all by myself. No one will purchase me a gift. No one will tell me they love me. No one will wish me a Merry Christmas. I have no one to eat with, no one to share life with. I put up a Christmas tree and, and, and no one to enjoy it because I am all alone. You know what I'll have in my heart for you is empathy. I am so, so sorry. That sounds incredibly, incredibly difficult. But what I can't do is sympathize with you because that is not my world. I can do my best. I can try and draw from negative experiences from my life and go, it must be a little bit like this. But what I can't do is look you in the eye and go, I know exactly what that feels like because that's not my journey. So I can love you, absolutely. I can do my best, absolutely. But I can't look you in the eye and go, I know what that's like. I've been where you've been. I know how hard that is. There's something better. Jesus can do that. He can sympathize with us because there is nothing that's going to come at you in this life that he's going, I never walked that. Short of falling in sin, everything else he's journeyed through. So let's take a look. What do you mean? Well, you think Jesus doesn't know what it feels like to be uh, rejected and abandoned? I had a, a mom the other day tell me, man, I spent my entire life raising my kids invested everything in my kids. They were my whole life. Now they've been out of the house for eight years. They don't even call. It's like I don't even exist. How about a guy who invests his entire ministry here into a group of men that were nothing until Jesus called them out of boats and everything and said, you're going to be my guys. I'm going to change the world through you. And the time he needed them the most, they all scatter and take off. The one guy, his, his chosen one, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. In the moment that he needed Peter the most, where's he? Denying him to a servant girl. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? Psh, don't know that guy. You don't think he knows what it feels like to be rejected? How about this one? You don't think he feels, knows what it feels like to have injustice done to him? To be in the right but be accused incorrectly? It's every time that, that you, your spouse or somebody else looks at you and goes, man, you hurt my feelings. And you go, I didn't mean it that way. Get over it. Why would, I, that's not my intent. Now it's your problem. Don't wrongly accuse me and say that's what I was trying to say. That's not. How about being nailed to a cross, bleeding out, looking down while two Roman soldiers, the two guys most likely that probably nailed you to that cross, fight over your clothes while the Jews sit back and laugh and celebrate that you're up there. And in the midst of all of that, you look to God and say, Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. You don't think he knows what it's like to celebrate, to live in injustice? You don't think he knows what it's like to have to submit to a, a government that he doesn't agree with? To Roman rule that mistreated Jews? And yet, he had to pay taxes to, had to submit to. There's nothing in this world that you are going to go through that Jesus is going to look at and go, man, never been there. He's walked it. Why? 
so that no matter what you have in this place, no matter what hurt, no matter what hardship, no matter what you are going through at any moment, at any time in your life, there is nothing that you can't come to the Father with and go, God, this is what I am struggling with and can't be met with. Man, that is hard. That is so hard. I've been there. I know how hard this is. I know what you're going through. Can I just encourage you and pick you up and with sympathy in his eyes can meet all of us in our weakness right where we're at. The question is, are we willing to go to him with it? I'm convinced in my own soul and maybe in the souls of some of you here that there is hurt, there is heartache, there are things in our past for some of us so far in our past, we have done everything we can to bury them and suppress them so deep down that we don't even like to think about them. But sometimes that's where our weakness is, is fueled by. And we begin to believe things like, man, no, if anybody knew, nobody could ever know. No one would ever understand. Really? I guarantee you Jesus Christ would understand and Jesus Christ will meet you in that place in that moment and go, can I carry that for you? Because you've been carrying it for far too long. And let's begin to provide healing that comes only through him. We don't have a high priest who doesn't get it. No, we have one that can sympathize with our weakness, but let's read on. It says this, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ has been tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. Go read Matthew 4. Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan. Now, I am not a big enough deal for Satan to mess with me. Maybe his minions, yes, but Satan... He's got other bigger fish to fry out there. Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan. Temptation. 40 days, no food. Like I said, it's been about two hours since I ate. I'm a little hungry. (laughs) 40 days, no food? With the power to turn a rock into food? Jesus says no. Oh, just rise up. I'll, I'll make you ruler. You'll be over everything. Power. No. Time and time again, Jesus refuted the temptation of the enemy. Perfect example, sinless. Now, let me get into some theology for you here. This is what, uh, this is what you can encounter when you go to Bible college or seminary. Okay? You got two things. If Jesus is God, and he is, Jesus is God, it is impossible for God to sin. He's perfect in holiness. So if God cannot sin, how could he be tempted? How can you be tempted with something that's impossible? Got to hold the deity of Jesus to the standard that it deserves to be held. But we also got to hold scripture and what the author of Hebrews and others have affirmed. You cannot separate God's deity or Jesus' deity and Jesus' humanity so much so that it makes sense to you. God is infinite, we are finite. And so you also got to hold in this hand He was tempted in every way as we are. That means he felt the full weight of temptation and never gave in. Now I can give you, in fact, if you want them, I'll let you borrow them. Good Christmas reading. I got theology books this high. You can read through that talk all about this. And any theologian worth reading is going to end up in the same place. Have an opinion, have a conviction, but at the end of the day, you got to say, guys, this is one of those infinite mysteries that finite human beings will never understand. We can't comprehend 100% God and 100% man at the same time. The, the, it just, you can't have 100% of both in our world. It just doesn't work. 
So some of this is a mystery of God. What can we affirm? I'm only going to affirm what Scripture says. Scripture says this. Jesus was God, perfect in every way, sinless in every way, and yet he was also tempted. In his humanity and his flesh, he was tempted. Why? So that he could look you in the eye and go, I get it. I've been where you've been. In fact, not only have I been where you've been, I beat where you've been. Because here's the reality. I'll, I'll give you this illustration. One guy I read, I loved the way he, he said it, but it was very technical. Essentially, he said this. You and I, we bear temptation until it cripples us and we buckle and we give in. Jesus bore temptation and never buckled ever, ever. He felt the full weight of temptation. So when you and I tap out at a certain degree, he kept going and never gave in. So let me set it up for you this way. Uh, it's Christmas season. Let's say that you go home today and there is a plate of Christmas cookies that some evil temptress made for you and there they are. Your favorite cookies stacked as high as a three-year-old, there for you to enjoy. And you know in your head, those aren't good for me. That's temptation. And so some of us, again, picture yourself carrying. Some of us can carry 7,000 pounds of temptation. But then 7,001 pounds comes and it's two o'clock in the morning and you walk by those cookies and you go, I'm taking one. And you cave. Some of you, if I hand you a pebble the size of a pea, you will cave to temptation. Because we give in at some point, not so with Jesus. He took infinite temptation and never gave up, never gave in. That's what makes him the perfect sacrifice. That's what makes him the son of God. That's what makes him, as we read earlier, propitiation, the bearing the wrath of God for our sins because he was perfect, unlike you and me. But yet he was tempted just like you and I were in every way, and yet every time he came out sin sinless. So let me give you my definition of sin, at least according to what I read in scripture. We hit it a little bit when we talked about weakness. Sin is not an action. I don't believe sin is an action. I think there are, there are sinful acts. But if you read scripture, it seems to me that God seems to indicate a lot, sin is a desire. Sin is a desire. And then when we act upon that desire, now we've created an action with sin. But if you read through, you just read through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus changes, changes kind of everyone's thinking when it comes to sin. Uh, what does he say? You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Okay? Adultery is a physical act. But what does Jesus say? I say to you, whoever looks at a woman or another lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. No action has taken place, but the desire has sin. You have heard it said, do not murder. Murder, clearly a sinful act. But Jesus says, I say to you, anyone who has anger in his heart towards another has already committed murder in his heart because it's desire. It's desire. And so here's what this is saying. Not only did Jesus never act in a sinful way, but every time that Satan or anything in this world presented an opportunity to Jesus, to desire his flesh or anything that this world had to offer, Jesus, every single time in the full weight of temptation said, I choose my father and what he wants and what he says over this. Every time. 
And so now we're back to our question. When it comes to our weakness, he can sympathize with our weakness. What are those things that at times, if we're honest, we desire more than maybe what God has called us to? Those things in our soul and our spirit that we would look at and go, Satan's just sitting there, he's sitting there going, I can give you this. And God's saying, but this is what I have for you. And we sit there. That's our temptation. And it's in those moments where we are being tempted that I would say, look to the Lord, look to Jesus. You are on, you are on floor 122 of your 130 floor journey and you look to God and go, God, I can't do it anymore. And he goes, yes, you can. Keep your eyes on me. Keep moving. Keep going. You can do this. Or you hit that beautiful red button and you stop and you go, that's it. And you give up and you fall. You cave. You fall into temptation. You sin. Now what? Now what? Sit and wallow? No. Pick yourself up. Look your heavenly father in the eye and go, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I chose anything over you. And the Bible calls it repent to turn from. I'm sorry I chose this. God, moving forward, I choose you. And you put your eyes back on Jesus. And you know what God does? God doesn't look at you and go, you didn't do the full 30 minutes. You're out. No. You know what Jesus does? He puts his arm around you and go, you know what? We're going to do 30 tomorrow. And I'm going to do them right next to you. Because we can do this. And he picks you up and he keeps going. He encourages you to keep moving forward. Why? Because he knows. He understands. He gets it. But he was perfect. He was perfect. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this, this perfect Jesus that has walked this road, gets us? What do we do with all that? Well, the first thing I put down, just practically speaking, I would say this. When you fall, and you will fall, every one of us will fall. Maybe you can carry 7,000 pounds. Maybe you can't carry a paperclip's worth of temptation. But when you do fall, inevitably you will, I think the first thing we got to do is be quick to repent. To be quick to repent. And what I mean by that is this. Sometimes, because we are in a culture that is performance-oriented, because sometimes even inside the church we base everything on performance, we build it up in such a way that we can't fail. And so when we do, we fall and we fall hard, and shame and guilt comes, and then we end up in what I call this shame spiral, where we just sit there and we go, man, God, I can't believe I screwed up, but since I screwed up, I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of your grace. I'm just going to sit here and wallow in my failure and continue to heap sin upon sin upon sin. What I read about in this passage is that the sympathetic father looks at you and goes, man, you fell. Let me pick you up, put you on your feet, and let's move forward. That requires us to identify it and to quickly turn from it. To quickly turn from it. To go, God, I am sorry, but here I go. Be quick to repent. If you find yourself ever in one of those spirals of shame and you are just stuck in the midst of, of whatever sinful things are going on, just remember, at no point is God up there looking at you going, you are disgusting. What he's looking at you with sympathy in his eyes is going, man, I know where you're at. I know how hard it's going to be to get out of that hole. But let me put my hand out and let me help you out. Grab the hand, get out. Be quick to repent. Get your eyes back on the Lord. Second thing I would say is this, is man, I hope you can find comfort in the reality of who Jesus is. Because we're about ready to celebrate Christmas. 15 days, Christmas is coming. God comes to earth. Do you know how beautiful God coming to earth is? He could have saved us 
a million different ways. Instead, what he chose to do was come down in human form. Why? To save us? Absolutely. But why that way? Think about what he had to endure. Infinite God. All-knowing. In fact, anything you learn, anything you figure out, he's known it since before time began. In fact, he created it. All of a sudden, infinite God, as an infant, unable to communicate. You ever had a dialogue with a six-week-old? Not a lot of conversation. God of the universe, bound in human form, unable to communicate. Got to grow up. God on earth has to look at a sinful mom and dad who tell him it's time for bed. And in his mind, he knows it's not time for bed. I know, I'm right, I'm perfect, I'm God. And you sinners are telling me to go to bed. But I'm going to submit to my parents because what God's word called me to, even though I'm right. He had to go through junior high. Have you forgotten junior high yet? I know you're trying to. This guy lived through it. Had to live. Jesus had to live under oppressive Roman government. Brutal. Took what they wanted. Rights? Not that important. What they wanted more than anything else. Had to pay taxes to them. Had to do things for the Roman government that he knew in his heart and his soul. This isn't right. And he did it had to walk into the synagogue and look at religious leaders that were just full of hypocrisy, abusing his church, and yet love and grace and teach. Had to walk through all of that. Why? Why would God go, this is how I want to bring salvation to this world? Why would he put him through all of that? So that you and I could look at him at any moment, at any time, with whatever we've got, and go, God, here's what I've got. And he goes, I've been there. I know. It wasn't for him to know. He's infinite. He knows everything. But it's so that we could look and go, man, with, with an understanding in our own heart and our soul, my God loved me enough to live life here just so I could relate to him better? That is the love of God on display. That is what Christmas should typify in us. Man, not only what we gain in Christ, but the fact that our God said, no, you know what? I want to know. I want you guys to know that I get it so that at any moment, at any time, you could come to me. And so that's where we're at. So what do you got in this room? What do you have in here that God is calling you? Would you just come? Would you just bring it? Would you just bring it? No shame, no guilt, no, oh, I can't believe it, but just a, I get it, it's hard. Let me help. That's what you're going to find if you can bring it to Jesus. That he can help put his arm around you, encourage you. He's going to point you. Hopefully he'll continue to reveal scripture to you, things about, about him and you that, that you begin to understand, understand and see God in a whole new way. That's what this whole thing's about. Why do we talk so much here about, hey, be part of our family. Get involved. Get connected. It's because everything we do here is to point you to who you are in Jesus Christ and who God is to you, period. Help us grow in this thing called our walk with the Lord. Maybe that starts for some of us today with this whole idea of surrender. And again, I'm telling you, what are those things deep down in the recesses of our soul that we desire more than anything else? And what does it look like in this place, in this moment right now, just to say, God, here it is, and to surrender that to him?
to leave it here. We're going to sing a song in just a second. We're going to worship together as a family. And then we're going to walk out of here and get on with the busyness of our lives. And you can walk out of here the same way you came in, or you can walk out of here with a little less in your hands because you laid it down at the feet of Jesus and God, God, I can't fix this, but you can. And you get it. You know how hard this is. Maybe that's what God would have for you this morning. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to close out our time with a time of worship. God, thank you. God, I thank you for what the humanity of Jesus Christ means to me, for the comfort that it brings. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as well as for myself, God, that any time I find myself on the front end of temptation, God, fallen on the back end, having blown it yet again, God, in either state, that I'd be quick to run to you. God, that you would look me in the eye. God, you would give me the image of you meeting me eye to eye. With sympathy in your eyes, God, pick me up, encourage me, build me up. God, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. God, in this moment, as we sing this song, as we spend time in silence before you, whatever it require, whatever you require of us, God, that you would do work in our soul and our spirit. God, that you'd give us courage, conviction if we need it to lay things down. God, maybe even just the courage to ask the question to give you permission to draw out those things in us that we have done such a good job of hiding. God, would you bring those to the forefront of our minds and our hearts so that we could leave those with you, surrender everything to you, and then continue to move forward in all the things that you've called us to. God, we love you, thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I, I pray. I pray that God keeps that song in my head and my heart all week long because that's not an act that you do once and then you're done. It's a daily surrender. God, to surrender every moment, every day. We leave it all at your feet so that I can walk in your spirit in the fullness of all that you've called me to be. That's our hope. That's our prayer for every one of us as sons and daughters of God here at Highlands. In a moment, we're going to release you guys. Uh, there's going to be a, a crew of people up front that would love to pray with you to encourage you. If you've got something you want to celebrate, they would love to celebrate with you. If there's anything on your heart or your soul that you just say, man, I could use some prayer, they would be up front. They would love to pray with you. It'd be their honor to be able to do that. Uh, for the rest of you, if you do choose to, to head out and get on with the rest of your day, I would ask you one thing of you. That is that you would love somebody before you leave. Service is never over here until you love somebody. So love somebody on your way out. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys all next weekend.